Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Today is Friday the 13th of November. <laughs> this is Fright Talk. This is Billy B.J. Jones and... This is Nadine Tapsh. And we're the Fright Talk guys. Fright Talk. Back, guys. Nadine. Right. We're back. We're back. <laughs> and, and folks are very excited. You know, first of all, thank you for all the love you gave us over the past three months. You know, Nadine just reminded yeah. me. We're on episode seven, brother. Episode, episode seven. seven. That's right. This is crazy. And... You know, the Halloween season, even though it was COVID, we still had a good Halloween season. Thank you, listeners. Thank you so much. And Adeem, of course. Thank you so much. Oh, thank if you. Really oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Please. please. <laughs> I was just going to welcome everybody and just uh, echo the, your same sentiments. Thanking everybody. Thank you to all the listeners, all the followers, and all of the support. Beautiful, isn't it? And if you'd like to speak to us during this live podcast, you can call us at 347-539-5372. Again, that number is 347-539-5372. And you may also email your comments, questions, or requests at everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that's everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Or you can go right now on Instagram and go to Nadine, N-T-A-B-S-C-H, and you can DM him as well, your questions, comments, or requests. Tonight's show, it's about Roanoke, the mystery of Roanoke. So what happened to the lost colony in Roanoke? The mystery enthusiasts attempt to uncover the colony's disappearance. And, and Nadine, this particular topic is exciting for us because, you know, months ago when we were chatting about lineup, we figured after Halloween, because it's felt such a great holiday, what's next? Because Fright Talk, guys, right. is here all year long, by the way. And right. so this topic is so important. Um, I shouldn't say important as much as it is relevant to the time of year, right? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, we're in the fall, and I think that it's a, a perfect time to to kind of look back at some of these histories, mysteries, if you will. And this is actually one of the most glaring ones uh, that you would find in American history. Lots of theories, lots of what ifs, nothing really concrete about it. And I think because there's nothing really concrete about it, not real concrete answers, the mystery of it makes it that more alluring. Now, when we talk about settlements, and it reminds us coming close to Thanksgiving of, um, you know, the early settlements and, and you know, uh, the pilgrims coming over mm -hmm. in the Mayflower and their interaction with the Native Americans, which we'll probably get into as well. But uh, yeah, it just goes with the time of the year. And this topic in particular, there is just, mm -hmm. it's just like an onion. There is a lot of layers to this. It is. It is. In fact, you know, my first introduction, I have to be honest, Nadine, 
My first introduction to Roanoke, I had heard about it before, but I really had forgotten about the place until American Horror Story, season seven, um, when they yeah. covered the, I think it was season seven, when they actually covered Roanoke was the focus. It was also the title. And so, and it made me immediately then start looking up. So we do what we typically do during the, during the television show. Whenever there's a break or we see a name or a person we haven't heard of or an actor we haven't seen before, we look them up. And it just drew me in, like you said. The history is quite amazing. As a historian, whenever you come across stories like this, Nadine, especially stories of mystery, how do those make you feel? Do you get excited about those? I do. I do because I say to myself, okay, let me kind of track what happened here. Okay, so Mm -hmm, what took mm -hmm. this group or these individuals from point A to point B? Okay, now we're in point B. And where do we go from there? So these things excite me because after so many years, you still can't get a concrete answer. And what that tells me is that uh, different situations in history are not as easily written off as one would think. So I really do like diving into these, these mysteries that, that people have really no idea what truly happened. And I mean, wouldn't it be great to be able to know for sure But to this day, and even with the advancements that we have in technology, there's so many mysteries that we don't have the answers to. And Mm -hmm. that really does excite me, especially with that that component, that history component that you know that I'm a history buff. So, Mm -hmm. yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Nadim, in the story of Roanoke, my understanding of it is like this, and you can fill in more, you know, with the details. You know, there was – these were um, European settlers who were arriving to America looking obviously for a new way of life. They were sent with the wishes of the government and of the king or queen at the time. I can't forgot which. And when they arrived here, we're talking 16th century. When they arrived here, they arrived not obviously to the America we know today. And obviously the parts that we're referring to, you, like you said earlier, I think it's Carolina or Virginia area where they arrived. North, North Carolina. North Carolina. And so Carolina. when they arrived there, they settled, as anyone would imagine, breaking new ground and territory. America was very Native, and Native including Native Americans. And so the story goes where this gentleman by the name of White, who was sent, um, he, uh, he was sent actually on behalf of the, 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 the government to come here and establish. He left. He left his wife. He left his kids. And there were others as well, because there were like 13 women were brought or 12 women, I can't recall. Right. It was a small community, but enough to start life here. And so when he left to go back, um, to go back to, 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 to England, he came back, and when he came back, there was nothing. I mean, everyone was yeah. gone, yeah. except yeah, that's, there right. were some signs, right? So that was the part that I, I heard. I don't know if that story right. echoes what you may know. Yeah, and, and it does. Uh, it was John White, and uh, he did come over there. They were from England. And he mm-hmm. did come over to this settlement. It was about 117 people, I believe. And wow. uh, on their way over, some of their provisions and supplies did get damaged. Mm. Um, when they got to North Carolina, uh, to Roanoke Island, they realized at a, at a very quick rate that they did not have enough supplies to survive, especially with the winter coming. And so John White being the the um, governor of the new colony, um, mm-hmm. a title that was granted to him, he decided that he was going to sail back to England to get provisions, except during this time, England goes into a very bitter uh, naval 
war with Spain. Mm-hmm. And so uh. at the time, the Queen required all the ships to help fight the Spanish Armada, including the ship that John White took back to England. Mm. Well, between one thing and another, John White didn't get back to Roanoke for a couple of years. Once he returned, there was nothing, as you stated. There were signs, but we're talking about 117 people. You say 116 or a little less because whoever he took with him. But Mm -hmm. there was nothing. And I mean, let's think about ourselves on a regular day, Billy. If we were to track our movements on a regular day, we Mm -hmm. need things designed. It could be a pen. It could be a, you know, a cup. We leave things behind as we mm-hmm. go along. And mm-hmm. The mystery here is that you have about 100 plus people and you can't find anything except we know that we had, there was a major clue left behind mm-hmm. uh, in a post, an engraving Croatoan, which was believed to be a reference to uh, an island, Croatoan Island, where Native Americans lived. But it was an island. It was not connected to Roanoke. It wasn't very far, but you had to travel across water to get there. And so the clues that have been picked up through time are still very few and far between. It's, so thought. The people, the Indians of this island, right? The you know when John White, my, like you said, he wrote, he found this inscription or um, or, or this word yeah. mm-hmm. on this tree, and then the story kind of like just breaks off, right? And right. And, and and gets confusing. And it's interesting because I read an article a couple of days ago when we were you know do some research on the, on the on the show, and there were some researchers who discovered that there was they found all these artifacts in that area, so they did some major excavating in right. the area. And right. they found all these artifacts, and they found John, this this Mr. White person, um, he was also an artist, and they found this this yes. this rendering where they saw or shown something that allegedly belonged to him. I don't know if it was a journal or a painting or whatever, but it showed an Indian being shot in the back. It was a depiction mm-hmm. of an Indian scene of an Indian being shot, and he wrote a comment or there was some kind of inscription on it. It was almost as if this guy who had done this, this Indian was some bad person that the Indians and white um, settlers, they seemed to know each other, like they coexisted. Because it was very typical for a white to actually paint and draw these you know, Native American life, right? And so as much as we hear that, that then we here we are today, researchers are now trying to debunk the fact that this may not, it just may be just hearsay. Um, I think the interesting thing about this is this. People are fascinated with unrecorded history. And we're talking 500, 600 years ago, uh, as we know, America was still not even the America we know today. You know, not even the founding fathers were around at that point. And so, but the, the, the unique part about this is that there are some incredible places in history that we don't know. Florida, for instance, has great history. The, the state of Florida yeah. that relates back to the Native Americans in, in, in yes, this whole concept. Yep. Because I, my understanding is that the first Thanksgiving in America was in Florida. Uh, it was in mm-hmm. somewhere between Pete St. Peter somewhere. I can't recall the date. Right. But I read right. it in a Florida book that I got at Cracker Barrel that I think I mentioned to you some time ago. Yeah. And it talked about this idea that Florida, for some weird reason, is all tied into all this. 
Part of that is because a lot of natives existed here in these very tropical environments. So the South, including the Carolinas, no exception, right? Right. Very interesting right. story. Yeah, and we have, of course, Sir Walter Riley is tied into this story as well, right? Because he's one of the people he went to get the commission from the Queen mm-hmm. to come over here along with White. And uh, Riley, North Carolina, is named after him. Oh, and so, uh, that's um, right. That's right. Yeah. So John White eventually does go back to England. He takes with him a map that he had of Roanoke Island. It's in a museum for a very long time. In, I would say, the last 10 years, they discovered that the map had a covering in the center of it uh, that John White covered. And when you removed it, it showed an additional location. Um, So, of course... Their theories. So did he tell them to stay in this location and covered it up so other people wouldn't find it to keep them safe? Uh, nobody really knows. There is a portion of this story that unfortunately um, have had some people through history try to take advantage of it. Hmm. And uh, back in um, the early years, I would say around, and I, I don't want to get the uh, the time period wrong here, but I believe in 1937 around that time um somebody discovered a stone and these will become these will come become to known as the the dare stones okay so this person finds a stone and this stone has a story on it essentially and it is believed that the stone was uh engraved uh, at the end of the engraving it says E W D, which would be um, uh, it's named after Dare, uh, so it, it's named <laughs> after the actual stone, right? And mm-hmm. so, interesting. In this in this particular stone, the engraving states uh, this would be John White's daughter, by the way, who would have huh. um, wow. Eleanor White Dare, who would have done this engraving, um, or at least dictated it. And it basically says that a lot of them, shortly after he left, came into. Uh, had fallen ill and died for disease and hunger. The rest had perished uh, through the hands of some what they were, what is described as savage Native Americans and so on and so forth. And so that stone to this day is believed to be authentic. However, mm-hmm. one particular mm-hmm. gentleman found, claimed to have found many stones, and he took one to Emory University during this time, and Emory University paid him for it. Well, he figured, well, I'm gonna, I just miraculously found more stones. So there's a total of 48 stones. But the person was also a stone engraver. And all of the stones he is said to have found are believed to, are, are hoax. They, they have all been debunked. The one that they can't debunk is this first one where Eleanor White Dare, who is believed to be um, one of the – well. Her daughter is believed to be one of the first people to be the first person to be born in North America. Um, the first stone appears to be credible, but again, nothing concrete uh, when it comes to it. So this mystery, I mean, I don't know, Billy, can we give a logical explanation as to why 100? I mean, 100 and something people vanishing, I get that. Okay, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. could have happened. What I don't get is how you don't find anything. I'm not even mm-hmm. talking about us archaeologists or anybody now. Right, I'm right. talking about John White. How did he not find anything? 
Right. Right. That's very and, true. That's very true. Hmm. It, it, just like you said, 117 people, there are 117 reasons <laughs> or possibilities, yeah. you know, right. in terms of what could have happened and not. And, and, and by the way, folks, thank you for your questions. <laughs> so we have a question here coming in, Nadim, from okay. Karina Mariaka. So there hey, are some Karina. great questions coming in. So our favorite, one of our favorite fans. So um, this first question, I'll, I'll ask it if, if I may. Um, she said, this is one of my favorite stories in history. What do you think happened, which we, we just discussed, but what is your favorite legend attached to this story? Okay, so to this day in Roanoke, mm-hmm. there is a high uh, level of paranormal reporting. Mm-hmm. I, I, we were talking about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, a particular particular stories uh, kind of wrap around parks, specifically parks that are close to Roanoke Island, and there's not that many of them. However, campers who have gone have uh, felt uh, some sort of supernatural presence. Okay. And uh, one gentleman in particular was camping with his wife, and he went out there, and he had the camper tied to his truck. And he uh, felt like a crash and a bang. And, you know, he gets out. He stops the car. They're on a trail now, you know, driving to their campground. And he gets off the car. It's nighttime, and he takes his pistol with him just in case. Mm-hmm. And when he goes to the back and he's trying to figure out what happened to his taillight, um, uh, a rock hits the back of the camper. And when he looks out into the woods, this is his story as he said it to the Travel Channel. Okay, As he looks out into the woods, he sees what appears to be a growling-looking face, very much like a dog-wolf. Except in this person's story, he says that this dog and wolf stands up as if it's standing wow. up on high. Wow. And then he hears another growl behind him. So he fires a, a shot off into the woods and he runs to the car. And this is somebody who's much bigger and overweight. He's not, you know, so he does his best. He gets back to the car. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Doesn't really tell, say anything to his wife because he's a little freaked out. But they drive and they get to closest part civilization they stop off at a at a 7-eleven and he says you know he tells his wife yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get off and get something to drink and I'll, I'll be right back and as he notices as he's coming out of the store this guy in a pickup just staring at him mm-hmm. just he's looking at him so he walks over to him and says hey buddy can I help you you know the guy says oh I'm sorry you look like a friend of mine and he says look I just came from this park and I was there. I was going to try to camp with my wife, but we left. Mm-hmm. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen anything strange in the parks around here in Roanoke? And the gentleman in the car looks down on the ground, looks back at him and says, I thought I was the only one. And so the stories of Roanoke being haunted or supernatural things in Roanoke are actually through the roof. Um it just, for whatever reason, when Roanoke, when we talk about Roanoke, we always talk about the mystery of the lost colony. But I think that there's a legitimate tie-in between the supernatural that occurs there and this Roanoke mystery. And that, to me, is my favorite 
part, that, that compelling part of how are these things connected? Because you have to feel one way or another that they are. Right. That is that, that. First of all, thank you for sharing that. And you're absolutely right, because the colony is, you know, it's whether lost or not, that's 600 years, you know, you know, 500 plus years ago. Here we are in the 21st century. And like you said, people are now um, speaking of these incredible stories. Well, the funny thing about the name itself, Roanoke, is quite fascinating in itself uh, and, and how it, it, it was coined or named. And, and, and one of the things that I heard, one of my, and, and I can't test this, so don't kill me, folks. I'm not the historian here. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to the dean. <laughs> but the one thing I've heard is that the, the term itself came from, as you said earlier, for some of, uh, when, when White arrived here, there was a name, Roanoke itself was associated with where they came from. There was a name that was given to right. the charter. And so, and the other aspects were what some people said, no, it wasn't. Some people actually think that White, as much as he wanted to, you know, honor the wishes of, of, of England, he really wanted to sever ties to create his own world. If I can come here and make it on my own, why do I need to go over there and, and trust them? You know, we right. think about technology and all the things that we have today that can, that can really digitize and um, authenticate our existence. If you don't have any checks and balances, folks, and you can start your own island in a new life, would you? Mm-hmm. And so right. his story, it, to me, is one that I think would perhaps make a great movie. I could see a great horror movie, a great history movie, just the entire backstory of, of White himself. And whether we, whatever genre it takes, it's, it just makes for good fiction, honestly, if someone wanted yeah. to grab it. So you heard that here, folks, right here on Fright Talk. And if you decide to put that out there, we will be happy <laughs> part of your of the credits. <laughs> well, and, I I also I also want to say that um, when we look at um, historical situations that have happened, specifically with the colonization of North America, Native Americans I feel are unfairly painted as savages. I true. don't feel that, that is very fair. True. I don't feel that that is a a fair representation because. If you were in your house, Billy, and somebody came into your house and started putting up a tent and saying, I'm going to sleep in your living room, you would act like a savage as well, and so would I. And so I think that um, a lot of times we write off, because I know that a lot of people's theory is, oh, they were just killed off by Native Americans. And I'm not saying that that's not a possibility, but Native Americans were very smart individuals and they knew that these uh settlers from england they had a Mm -hmm. lot of things with them they did have rifles they did have gunpowder they did have these things and so i would think that the native americans would have felt in some way shape or form that they could have benefited uh from a relationship with them so i don't feel that theory of well they were just killed by native americans that still doesn't explain why nothing was left behind and so i don't Out of all the theories that are out there, I don't think it's fair to simply say, well, the Native Americans did it. Right. And, you know, always, you know, I always say the, the faulting of the indigenous, right? And Mariaka actually made a comment here in her last question to us, which was, um, what are the, some of the stories we've heard? You already mentioned one. And she also mentioned um, the notion of aliens and like, you know, that also there were alien abductions. And also that actually I read a story I remember about a month ago, I remember the, the term, the name Roanoke came up in this article about some folks citing in a camping. 
like some strange alien activity out there. And, and now every time I hear these stories on the team, we talked about the woods before. Why is it? That, <laughs> I know, folks, you're going to kill me. I'm not a, a naturalist. <laughs> but I, folks still venture out there, you know, knowing how vulnerable they can be <laughs> in that yeah. circumstance. And so, and we appreciate these stories because had they not ventured, we wouldn't be having the tales we have today. But it kind of creeps yeah. us out. Folks, you're listening to us live. We're already halfway into almost a half hour into the show. Wow, Nadim. This is great. So thank you for your love and support. The call in is 347-539-5372. I'll repeat that again at 347-539-5372. And I see that you're not shy. We got a number of questions coming in, Nadim. I think you have a couple yeah. as well. And so I we do. might want to go ahead and start knocking them out. Our email, by the way, is everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that's everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. And Nadim's open Instagram is N-T-A-B-S-B-H on Instagram. Go right. for it. So let me have a question here, mm-hmm. and this question is from Michael. Now, I'm not going to go in the particular order that they were sent in because there's mm-hmm. so many of them. But uh, Michael says, the mystery of Roanoke, or he asks, the mystery of Roanoke reminds me of the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. Can someone just disappear in 2020 i'm gonna let you answer billy before i answer (laughs) so yes michael i think that there is a false sense that because we are so technologically connected and globally connected due to technology you could still slip under the radar people still and still do i watched a youtube video maybe about six or seven months ago where this guy went to an airport. They show these strange disappearances of people. This guy was in a foreign country, can't recall where. He went into the airport. They saw him check in. But then all of a sudden, maybe like 30 minutes later, he takes off on foot running, running off. Like he runs and the, and the, and the camera sees him leave the perimeter of the airport. And then he walks into the community into the distance. And that was the last time he was heard again. He was an American in a foreign country. And it was also a very friendly, American-friendly country. And so parents were concerned what would make someone just suddenly run? Why would he just leave? He left his back and took off. Like he left everything at the airport. And so people are disappearing. And what's, what's creepy about it, Michael, is that now, even with Jimmy Hoffa, I mean, Jimmy Hoffa is a story in itself. I think these different, the fact is, if we don't know, it's just human curiosity once we have the desire to know. But even if we knew the answer and there was a confirmation, would it even change the difference? The mystery, the myths, the legends of these stories are now out in the world and they can never be taken back. Just a thought. What do you think, Nadine? Well, to answer his question, can someone disappear in 2020? Um, Yeah. (laughs) People disappear every day, all the time. And I agree with you, Billy, that there is this false sense of security because of technology. Now, don't get me wrong. Technology has made it easier to find people, but do people still disappear? Yes. All the time. Do large amounts of people disappear? Sometimes. Sometimes there are flights that disappear and those pass and nobody ever finds those flights. So to answer your question, yes, absolutely. And then in reference to the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa, um, so many stories about that. I don't want to kind of get, I don't really want to get into Jimmy Hoffa. Um, Yeah. Um, wherever he's at, let him be. I'm not even gonna uh, yeah, I, I concur. 
you yes. know, and, and <laughs> folks, by all means, no Ouija boards to call summoning him either. If you even have an access, access in that regard. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I feel people can definitely disappear uh, in 2020 and it happens um, all the time. Would you be able to find more clues and stuff like that? Well, yeah, I'm sure people leave more things behind than the lost colony of Roanoke did. But still, it is more common, I believe, than people think. It's true. Hey, check this out, Nadim. Carmen wants to know. We kind of answered it earlier, but I'll ask it still. Do you think that Roanoke's disappearance furthers the stereotypes of Native Americans? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, mm-hmm. it does, because most of the time when I have this conversation with people, the the automatic answer is it was the Native Americans. But mm-hmm. we don't we don't know that. We don't know that the settlers didn't get there and the moment they saw Native Americans became hostile. We don't know that. Um, I do feel it is an unfair representation, just general in history. I mean, you know, we, we, we have Thanksgiving coming up and really a week and a couple of days away, we were talking about this. Yeah. So with Thanksgiving, we talk about the way it's painted in the history books and the way it mm-hmm. actually happened. Well, let me say the textbooks and the way it actually happened are two completely different stories. First of all, the pilgrims, the moment they got to Plymouth, the very first thing they did when they realized that there was Native Americans there, they stumbled upon a Native American burial site. And the very first thing they did was start robbing graves. So if you're a Native American and you come along and you have people plundering the graves of your relatives, you wouldn't take too kindly to them either. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that there is a, a lot of... Uh, negative stereotypes, unfortunately, when it comes to Native Americans as being, as being painted as savages, and also not enough credit to how highly intelligent they were for the time they were living in. Hmm. Wow. That's a very good point. Hmm. Very interesting, sir. All right. I have one here for you, Billy. It says, well, this is from Preston. Preston asks, what impresses me about the Roanoke story is that the mystery has generated several stories and movies. What's your take on the American horror story rendition of the mystery? I know you briefly mentioned it earlier, Billy, but if you want to get into it. I'll just say this briefly. The interesting thing about it is that it just took the story and the mystery behind Roanoke. It really – it ha- <laughs> the story of American horror, the American Horror Story season happened in Roanoke, which actually was a, it was a mystery within a mystery – because it had this entire um, cast um, going in Roanoke. And Roanoke was all fabricated. It was fictional. But then it actually became live, and the spirits of Roanoke began to take over, while also the greed of the characters consumed them. And so I thought it was very clever, because I've not seen a movie uh, or any show in the recent decades that really focused on a historical uh, concept or topic like Roanoke and gave it its own voice in its own space. Before that, I can't think of any movie or any major um, production group who's done that and hats off to American Horror Story. They did the same as well with The the Coven in in season three. Although Mm -hmm. it was about the witches, they used um, Madame de de Laurier, who was in, in in New Orleans. That entire story is another legend in itself, another whole conversation perhaps for a show. And so I thought it was pretty cool, and I thought good job for American Horror Story in that regard. What about yeah, you, I agree with you. Yeah, I thought it was very clever how they did the – it was a mystery within the mystery uh, yeah. because you had actors playing these parts within the show pretending to be actors. So that was very clever. Just in general, you know, 
hands off, uh, you know, hats off to American Horror Story. I Can mean, they imagine? all every season is just fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, um, this person is stating <laughs> that they're they are impressed by how many stories it generates, and I think that I'd like to make the argument that the a longer the longer a mystery goes unsolved, mm-hmm. obvious as more time is passing, the more stories get generated. Think about Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. These are all myths, obviously, but the more time has passed, the more these stories get uh, generated. You know, Salem Witch Trials. We know what happened, but to this day, we don't know if those little girls were pretending to be afflicted by something or not. You know, so I think that the more time passes, the more spins and theories can be given about each story. Hmm. Check this out, Lizzie. That was a very good, very good point. John wants to know, this is interesting. I heard of a story where a Cuban immigrant who arrived to America disappeared after just one month in America. No one knows what happened. He was reported missing by the local authorities. Strange. Do you think people just want to be lost and never found? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, there's many people who want a new life. Mm-hmm. I think that there's many people who want to reinvent themselves. And I also think that there's people who sometimes are just leaving a very bad situation. And because they're leaving a bad situation, they want to start a new life in a better situation. I think sometimes uh, people do just want to be lost and want mm-hmm. to start over. And I mean, obviously, that's different from uh, people not wanting to be lost, but you know, disappear anyway. But yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of people that want to get lost and wish that they can start anew, or maybe even if they're immigrating from one country to another and leaving uh, any terrible uh, social or governmental situation behind, they want to start over. And I, you know, especially when it's an immigrant going from one country to another, I can't necessarily you know, fault them for wanting to try to start a new life and leaving behind whatever uh, maybe terrible regime that they were experiencing in the country they were in. What are your thoughts on this, Billy? I agree with you. I do feel that some people, you know, you know the old saying where people say, sometimes I can just run down the street and scream, just scream, you know, yeah. or I just want to just go somewhere on vacation and, and just disconnect. So people don't realize, yeah. but that, that need or desire to be isolated is it's just a step ahead or few of being totally lost and never found. And there are some incredible historical cases of individuals who totally reinvented themselves, faked their deaths, and then went on and lived a whole life with a whole new family, while leaving those who in their first lives, you know, to, to, to wallow in the misery of the loss. And, and the other thing about that, too, which I think is very interesting about never wanting to be found, I read a book a few years ago in our book club here in Miami where it's titled. The title, the, the title goes like this, folks. So look it up to get it right. The, the 100-year-old man who went out the window and disappeared. It is an incredible book. It actually was adapted to a television show, like a little series of show that like a couple of episodes on a Channel 10 night. Um, but it was a great show and a movie that followed the, the book very well about this centenarian, 100-year-old man. And right outside his door to his nursing home, they're about to celebrate his 100th birthday. And he said, you know what? I'm ready to go. I don't feel like I want to do this. So he got out. He went out the window and disappeared. And he went. And it, the story is so funny and hilarious. 
he ends up meeting all kinds of historical figures. One of them, I swear, was Hitler, I swear. And it was so funny and it was so clever. And I'm thinking, wow, this was different. But if I were 100 years old in that regard, or heck, even 20, and I was living whatever life I had or wanted something better, what would I do in that moment? It all depends. But that Mm -hmm. takes a lot. Some people do want their space. That's true. Billy, I have a question here from Denver. It says, why are there so many suspenseful stories around historical communities or people with unrecorded backgrounds? I'm not sure what Denver means by unrecorded backgrounds. Mm. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. um, Denver in that question, I mean, most of the things that we know is because we have recordings or artifacts that support it. Um, and or at least some elements of, of, of a reminder of times past or life's past. And so, but I think the reason why the, the bigger part of the question is this. I think people are fascinated, just like we're fascinated with people who we see on the road today. Say at a, a stoplight, Nadine, you look left, you're looking at the person. We have this human instinct to look at each other, okay? And so we do that in a car. We also have the instinct to know, to know our origin, to know that yeah. there was a life before this, a podcast, Right or any other right. other modern constructs of technology. So we are just fascinated with wanting to know more and understand. Because the more we know our history, the more we are understanding of our own circumstance and hopefully not condemned to repeat the bad stuff of history's past. And so um, I, I think it's just the idea of knowing and wanting to know and a sense of belonging as a species. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, as far as the, the suspenseful stories mm-hmm. um, historically – there are just so many. I mean, if you were to look at uh, stories of slavery in general, yeah. I mean, there are a ton of stories and mysteries, okay, legit mysteries. Um, so I feel that human nature, like you said, we, we want answers. We are intrigued by things that we can't explain. You know, most of the times we go about our daily lives. What do we do? We go to work, mm-hmm. take care of our home. If you go to school, you study. Maybe you're on your social media. And one day just kind of pours into the other day and so on and so forth. So every now and again, when, you, when you're confronted with something that breaks that norm, where you're like, wait a second, this is out of routine. I can't really explain this. It's just intriguing in nature. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. And, and, and that kind of ties nicely to Tina's question. She says, I hear that Florida has some exciting historical sites and stories of settlers. Have you heard of any of these stories or situations? I mean, there's just a ton. St. Augustine, Florida is one of the most haunted places in the yeah. United States, um, as is Key West. But obviously, St. Augustine is the oldest city. Uh, but, yeah, there is a ton of stories. I do know that in... St. Augustine, there is a the first jail, okay, so the first uh, mm-hmm. prison in St. Augustine. I, many years ago, I did a, I actually did a tour of this, uh, and when I say I did a tour, it's a tourist attraction, not like I, I was in jail for some reason overnight or something like that. It is legit a tourist attraction, and I went, and then they, they go through, and they, they tell you about, you know, you're, this is not a very lo- big location. This is a large location by any means. And, of course, there's plenty of stories of um, people who have passed away there. There's plenty of mm-hmm. stories of the forts mm-hmm. um, in St. Augustine that, you know, they would see um, Spaniards, ghosts of Spaniards, uh, passing mm-hmm. through 
behind certain cannons and stuff like that. So there really is quite a bit of any place that has long or rich history. You're gonna, you're bound to have a lot of these stories of supernatural mystery. Savannah, Georgia is another one of these places. And I'd like to recommend if you've never seen the movie or read the book, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. You absolutely should. Yeah. Um, you absolutely should because it ties in that history element, that supernatural element. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, Billy, there's a, we could probably do a whole show on just haunted places in Florida or supernatural. Yeah. Maybe we yeah. should. That is a good point. I'm writing that down. <laughs> See, folks, this is what happens. You you ask us questions, then you give us ideas. So thank you. <laughs> hey, and I'd like so to you, remind our callers to call yeah, go ahead. in. I know they haven't been shy with you, Billy, because they've been sending in these questions left and right. Yeah, it's so three four seven five three nine five three seven two. Again, the number is three four seven five three nine five three seven two. Of course, you could always email. Your comments or requests at everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. Again, that's everydayfolkslisten at gmail.com. And you can message me on Instagram at ntabsh, N-T-A-B-S-C-H, or at Fright Talk Guys on Instagram. Thank you so much. Check this out. Cindy, actually, before I get to Cindy's question, we kind of answered it, but I'll read it. But then I'll jump to number nine. Cindy says, I'm told that everyone that mystery is over. Some researchers claim that the lost colony is a joke. What do you make of the story? And so we kind of already answered that, Cindy, but what we, we just, we actually, our goal here tonight was not to debunk anything, but instead mm-hmm. to, you know, to celebrate the fascination behind the origin and the mystery. And I think that's what's been our focus here. But we think it makes for great fiction or nonfiction, depending on your side of the fence that you stand. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and there's certain things that, whether it's a scientist or a historian or whoever it is, they mm-hmm. cannot debunk. You cannot debunk that there was a colony of 100 plus people that came to Roanoke Island. You cannot debunk that James, uh, that uh, um, White, I said James, White went back and forth, okay, from England. I, and you, because right. a map was in a museum in England <laughs> for many years. So these are things that actually happened. So I agree with you, Billy. The, it's not to debunk anything. More than anything, it's to it's to state and to prove that to this day there are no concrete answers. And sometimes when people can't explain things, they just say, "Oh well, maybe it didn't happen." And I don't care what profession that is, whether it's a scientist or a historian. I think mm-hmm. that's a very lazy way to go about things because it, it's mm-hmm. not by just writing it off. You're not giving it any deeper thought. And then, of course, then comes the the arrogance of you think you know all the answers simply because you couldn't find one that, you know, suited a narrative. Mm, Good point. Marisol wants to know, Nadim, great show, guys. Keep up the good work. One Mm. of the Roanoke myths is that the people were eaten by cannibals. I don't believe that. But there are some really good stories out there about tribal people and their customs. Oh, right. Perhaps that would make a great story one day. Well, thank you, Marisol. <laughs> right. No, no, I actually, uh, she's, uh, Marisol, thank you for the question. That's um, a good, good and I, I have yeah. heard that theory before, too. Again, that theory goes to Native Americans. It may have been cannibals, right? So it, it does go to that. But I have actually heard that theory before. Here's the problem with that. The, my only issue think? with that theory mm-hmm. is that you have 100 plus people and no bones have ever been recovered. <laughs> 
Right. And cannibals typically don't eat the bones. Right. Right. So that's my only issue with that theory. But it is actually a common theory. Believe it or not, it's one I've heard quite a bit before. Uh, Billy, check out this question from Justin. Do you know of a story of anyone who was once lost and eventually found? Yes, but found dead. <laughs> I mean, oh. I, I, I guess. <laughs> he didn't specify if they were alive. He just said found. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was being a little taking it to the wrong cob. Um, actually, there are some stories, and these are the, the crazy stories of these people who abduct. I can't recall which, but I remember there was this, this man who abducted this girl, um, this teenage girl, and, and tried to take her into the human trafficking and, and sex slavery and all that kind of stuff. And she later was discovered and got out and then retold her story so she, and wrote a tell-all book and made millions off of it. So these stories, there are examples of folks in that regard. But I guess if we looked at it from a more na- a natural standpoint, like in nature or the woods, um, there are some interesting stories of folks who've gone on or going, let's say, cliffhanging uh, or, or, or other extreme sports or activities just, or just communing in nature, getting lost and seeing some pretty strange stuff out there, but then being able to come back to, the, to modern times and civilization and live and tell their story. So there are quite a few of those stories out there. It's just that you know, the problem with those stories, they are fascinating. To me, I, I guess for me, they don't intrigue me as much. Because of the fact that my first thought is, what were you doing out there? What would you possibly could have been doing out there to have subjected yourself? You already knew the risks. But then then the second part is, you do it, I respect it, I receive it, I know people can do what they want. But then what was the value of your going? You know, so if, if one said, for instance, Dean, they were going to do some research, you know, they're flying to Mars to go to the moon and see if we can live there. Okay, that has mm-hmm. more justification, Right. But some of these circumstances, people are already automatically aware of what they're signing up for. And so whenever, so these stories, when I hear them, they just don't intrigue me, at least. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Now, let me tell you one story that did intrigue me. And they, this is a true story, mm-hmm. and they made a movie about it. In 1993, the movie was called Alive. And it follows the story of an, uh, an Uruguayan rugby team on an airplane. And that airplane crashes somewhere in the Alps and the mountains. And you know, these people are those that didn't die are mm-hmm. breathing to death. The people that did survive is only because they had to eat those that had already passed. I remember this. I never and watched it. Eventually, eventually, those that did survive were found. Hmm. And so, and this was a group of people. And so, stories like that intrigued me. I, I, I think that it's very difficult because there's so many stories of people being lost and then found. Unfortunately, it is not uncommon. Yeah. And the you know what you just made me realize, too? The fact is maybe I don't like them so much because they make me face my own um, vulnerabilities and mortality. Because I pray that I'm never in a circumstance that I have to surrender myself to, you know, to the unknown and to have to do what I can to survive. So probably that may be the reason for you know my sheer ignorance folks <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to be there but also too wow now you make me think of that it's a whole other perspective thank you here's a question for you oh Erica just sent a question in and it says if you could start all over again right now in life hmm. after being granted 10 million dollars <laughs> would you take the chance to reinvent yourself to disappear like the like the lost colony did 
Um, no, I wouldn't. Only because I live a pretty good life. Mm-hmm. I, it, you know, I have the the same complaints that all of us have <laughs> at our age. My back hurts. My taxes are too high. Um, drivers are crazy. But I live a pretty good life, and I won't even need the ten million. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing that I may would want to change is I, I wish I did live somewhere where I did get the four seasons. I, mm-hmm. I really do. Because in Miami, we get swamp and hot. That's what we get uh, all year round. But would I change anything? Not really. The the decisions or everything that has led me to where I'm at today, not an easy road by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think I would want to redo anything if it would erase or change where I'm at today. How about mm-hmm. you, Billy? Because it is an interesting I question. I think a lot of people it do is. ask that about themselves. It also makes you reflect on the journey you've taken to get to this space called now. And I think, like you, Nadim, I'm very good and grateful for the space I'm in, the life I have, and also the journey that I've taken. You know, no journey wasn't easy for in any regard, but I'm here. And and so I wouldn't want to reinvent because then if I reinvent myself, I have all this great money I can't share it with anyone. You know, I want to share it with the people who were part of the journey, like my Nadine's and the Jones crazy clan and everybody else, the Tabshes, and I need that. So I don't want to abandon that because that's, that makes me, that makes life worth living for me. So I guess for me, I, I don't want to be lost. I don't want to become a mystery, <laughs> you know, and when the story ends, I want it to end in a more traditional sense <laughs> where you can honor and recognize me <laughs> in a way right. that would be appropriate and reverent in the moment. But um, it's a good question. That's actually a different one because it really forces you to think about the journey that you took in order to get to where you are in your today, you know, to well on the, perhaps the even face the, the wallows and shadows of regret, perhaps. And I don't think that's our case, Erica, but thank you so much. And, and I would think that it was a good question, Erica. Thank you. It and was. I think that if you think of the people who were part of that lost colony of Roanoke, they made a decision when they were in England. They made the decision that they wanted to come to start a new life somewhere else, for whatever their reasons. Right. Um, so they did come to that crossroads at some point. Nobody was forcefully, to the best of my knowledge, uh, yeah. uh, forcefully, those that went willingly, you know, they went because they wanted a new life, or they wanted a different life. And so uh, it does kind of tie into the, the lost colony of Roanoke for that respect, absolutely. Hmm. Two last questions here, Nadine. Nancy says, I can only imagine the pain White, the settler you mentioned earlier, could have endured after discovering that his wife and family were gone. Do you think White's story would make a great movie in itself? I absolutely do think his his life would make a great movie. Um, A sad one, but uh, a very good one, because it was his wife, it was his daughter, and um, and the colony itself was essentially his baby. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think it would be – and to be honest with you, you know, you mentioned this earlier, Billy, when you were talking about the American Horror Story. This is such an interesting story. I don't know why more programs haven't been made and movies haven't been made about this. But, yes, to answer the question, I think absolutely his life is a very interesting one, and so is – uh, Walter Riley's life is also a very interesting. Oh, one that'd be a really good role. But yeah. I'm wondering 
why um, through all this time, uh, maybe they, maybe somewhere along the line, just a lot of creators felt they couldn't do it justice. Perhaps. I mean, American horror story did, but it, it didn't go into it. It very much veered from the historical. Um, I don't know. That's a very good question. It's a very good question. And here's the last one for us, Nadine, from Cindy. Cindy, thank you uh, for this question and comment, actually. The comment is, Thanksgiving is coming. Happy holidays to the Friday Talk team. How great it is to feast in horror. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's nice. What are you guys thankful for this holiday season? Mm. Um, you or me first, Billy? I would say I'll, I'll start by we're alive. We dealt with a pandemic, a horrifying election season, and everything else in between. We, down in South Florida, we also had some crazy storms. We know other places have been ravaged with storms or fires or what have you. And so we've had a very intense year of constant change. And as much as we love being change agents, some stability would be very grateful. So, um, So I'm grateful for the fact that I can live and breathe. And at least far as my knowledge, I am in good health. And those who I know, love, family, and friends are in good health, too. Yeah, Uh, I agree with you. I I mean, I echo those sentiments. I'm grateful that I am healthy. Um, I'm grateful that, you know, I have loved ones around me. Uh, I'm grateful for a, a lot of things. It's hard to list, but but I am grateful for a lot of things. I wouldn't be myself if I would say that um, there's 220,000 people that cannot be grateful this Thanksgiving because of COVID. And so my heart, as much as I'm grateful for all of the things, and I, I am, my heart really goes out to the families. My heart goes out to those people um, because it's just, it's been a hard year, Billy. It's been a hard it year, has, but I, it has. I'm grateful Every, for the 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 loved ones around me. And I know your, you know, our significant others, our our, our mm-hmm. pets, our friends. Um, I'm I'm definitely grateful for all that and and the good health. But you know, it's you're grateful, and then sometimes it's just a little difficult to to not feel a, a shred of guilt for the mm-hmm. people that are not around during this time. And you know one more, folks, we're grateful for? We're grateful for fans like you, Cindy, for listening right? to the show, committing to uh, We Fright Talk every other Friday for Eastern Standard Time for the past three months. We've been bringing you all live podcast footage on some very fascinating topics, and we're not going to stop. Even though Halloween is over, it wasn't our intent to do it with Halloween Horror is year-round, my friends. And there is some exciting stuff coming in horror that we're going to be bringing to you in 2021. And speaking of the forward view, coming up on November 27th, which is Black Friday, (laughs) Black Friday, (laughs) we're going to have our next show, Friday Talk, here at 8 p.m., where we're going to be looking at Thanksgiving horror stories. Hmm. Do you have anything you'd like to share with us out there, fans, in terms of some interesting tales, even true stories? of some not-so-good holiday seasons, meals, or circumstances, share them with us. We'd be very happy to read them on, uh, out loud. We do ask if you do send a story just like we did a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago with our Scary Stories for Halloween, if you can keep your stories under 35 words so that way we're able to get as many as we can within the, the context. Yeah, and I mean, really, 
uh, horror stories for Thanksgiving. I could just go through like my family book and just kind of read off like <laughs> year one, year two, year three. Oh, <laughs> uh, I do. So I do want to say uh, a few things. Number one, because I know we have like five minutes left, mm-hmm. Billy. Uh, before we get to the closing, now that we've talked about the lost colony and there's so many layers to it, now I want to hear what is your theory? What do you think happened to the lost colony? I think these individuals came to an America that. You know, just like any anyone knew, sometimes we bite off more than we can chew. They came, they were somewhat prepared, but still unprepared for the unknown. And because of that, these folks ended up having to acculturate or survive by being um, in, you know, taken in by another community of people who could help them. And I, and I think that they were, and it explains why there is biracialism and all kinds of interesting things of people who live in that area. <laughs> and so I really feel that people just had to do what they could to survive. And unfortunately, there were no modern phones and things like that to help connect and say, oh, by the way, come check me out over here. And so I think people just went their ways to survive. And some people died of natural causes. There were a few casualties. What do you think? I agree with you. I think that um, those that did survive, that did not die from hunger or, or from cold, I believe they were absorbed by Native American tribes. Um, not necessarily in a bad way. I know that there's a project, there's a DNA project that's been going on for years where people with the last name White or if they had uh, believed to be anybody who had um, ancestors or anything like that that may have been Roanoke and they're running their DNA test to see if they also have Native American blood, Native mm-hmm. American DNA, to see if, they, if there's a match between White blood and Native American DNA or English, uh, uh, English blood and the Native American DNA. So it's very interesting. But that's what I do feel happened. I am not saying that I do not believe that Native Americans may have killed some of the settlers. I believe some of the settlers may have also killed Native Americans. Mm-hmm. But I right. believe that eventually they were absorbed um, from one group to another. And I just mm. want to give a shout-out to all of our fans and all of our listeners. You guys are amazing. Please follow us on Instagram at Fright Talk Guys. And any stories or anything you want to share, just go ahead and send us a message. I mean, we're very grateful. This show marks, uh, as Billy said in the beginning, show number seven. What does that mean for you? That means that if you only, if this is the first time listening, you have six other hours to get to of shows. This is seven hours of content that we brought to you guys. So you can go back at any time and listen to our past shows. And just uh, a huge thank you to everybody who called in and, and listened today. And speaking of those those old shows, they're archived on Apple Podcasts and as well on Google Play. And you can visit us on everydayfolksradio.com and subscribe to Fright Talks, guys, Fright Talks to Guys. Look at my gosh, I'm killing it <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> please, please support. Until the 27th of November at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we ask that you take care of yourselves. Enjoy your holiday season as well. Take care of yourselves and stay safe. <laughs>